I've been I've been interested in Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets that that were prophesying at the same time. Um, I've I've been reading Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi, as well as Ezra and Nehemiah, and uh, they've they've been really fresh. They've they've been really remarkable to me, and especially Malachi. I've I've read and reread that. I don't know how many times. Maybe twenty five times over the last three or four weeks. And I've really spent a lot of time just looking at this, and honestly, I don't, I don't have even hardly a well-prepared sermon from this book, but I have some thoughts. I've been looking through it. I know we can't, we can't hardly touch on this whole book right now. I'd be half tempted to read the whole book, but I know that'd probably just slow us down, but I'd like to express some thoughts, I think, some some thoughts that the Lord has pressed upon me especially as I've read through this. I don't even hardly know what to call it. Um, I've thought about the fear of faith. When we grow weary, there's just different ways that I might title this. We might even talk about priesthood. And I think the first thing I'd like to do is maybe just read the first chapter. Why don't we start by doing that? Malachi chapter 1 verse 1. I mean, what is what is Malachi known for? Tell me before we even start reading it. What what just what do we know the book for? What comes to your mind when you hear Malachi? Divorce. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. God hates divorce. What what else is commonly taught from Malachi? Tithing. Right. Tithing and divorce seem to be two big ones, and and of course we know it is the last book. Of the Bible, but we know our Old Testaments are not necessarily chronological in order. So Malachi, does anybody know who Malachi was contemporary with? Probably. Well, does anybody know what what the last historical book? What is the last history that we have in the Old Testament? What is the latest history? Which book would that be? Esther was actually between Ezra and Nehemiah. So it would be Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, is, is the last chronological 
although it, definitely in the order of our Old Testaments it isn't last, but Malachi seems to have probably been written in Nehemiah's era. And if you read Nehemiah and you pay specific attention to some of the problems that were being dealt with there, you'll, you'll, you get that feel in Malachi as well. And, and what's interesting about Malachi is this, you know, there were, there were three returns of people from the Babylonian captivity. Can, can you tell me about those? Anybody know what those three returns were? Who, who came in the first return? Anybody know? Like the first, the first six or seven chapters of Ezra deal with that first return. Anybody recall who that was? In fact, Dick mentioned who that, the name. Zerubbabel. Anybody know about the second return? That would be Ezra. And then the third return was Nehemiah. And what's interesting about this is, is if in fact Malachi is contemporary with Nehemiah, it, it's amazing. God has, God has vented His wrath upon Israel. They've gone off into this Babylonian captivity. And now they're returning. And in fact, we're, we're after the third return and the people. Isn't it amazing? You read Ezra. You read Nehemiah. What, what was happening? They were having to come down on the people for sin again. What's happening with Malachi? It's, it's just amazing that after all that God has done with them, here they are going back into their sin again. Well, let's read this first chapter. Malachi chapter 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name, but you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. 
Such a gift from your hand will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And you know what? When we come over to the New Testament... We find Paul telling us things like this. He says, whatever was written in former days was written for who? Who was it written for? For us. In fact, to the Corinthians, he says, these things happen to them as an example. They're written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Well, this is for us. And so that's what I was asking myself as I'm going through this again and again and again. Lord, what are you, what are you saying to us? And I'll tell you, there's something that jumps out here in chapter 1 to me. And it's 1.13. You say, what a weariness this is. You say. I mean, it's really interesting that God is listening If there's anything that you find about the book of Malachi, it's that God listens to us. He listens to what people say. And you see this come up again and again and again. And look at Malachi 1-2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Or you go to to verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master, if... Then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, you, O priests, who despise my name. But, there it is again. You say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But, you say, how have we polluted you? And that's the same kind of thing you have there in Malachi 1.13. But you say, what a weariness that is. Over in chapter 2, you look at verse 13. The second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, groaning, because He no longer regards the offering, accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Malachi 2.17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied Him? Malachi 3.7, 
From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from the statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Or again in Malachi 3.13, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? And then you look at verse 16. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Isn't that interesting? They spoke with one another. They're not speaking with the Lord. They're speaking with one another. And the Lord pays attention. If there's anything about the book of Malachi, it is that God is listening. He listens to what we say. And of course what we say comes from what we think, what we feel, what we believe, where our heart is. And these people have come to the place, what a weariness. It's just weary serving the Lord. And if there's anything about this book as well, it's not just that God is listening. It's not just the words. But what's He looking for at the root of all of it? What's He looking for? What is it that He wants? Well, when when He says that He finds these people people in 316 he describes them specifically as those who feared the lord they spoke with one another the lord paid attention and heard them a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the lord and esteemed his name you get that feeling from malachi god is upset with these people because they're not showing fear towards His name. They're not esteeming His name. I just went through and I I marked every place here where the Lord hits on that. Here's some of them. Look at Malachi 1.5. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God is interested that His people see Him as great. They esteem Him as great. They have awe about Him. It's amazing, Malachi never mentions faith once. But when it's, when it's speaking of these people who He's going to make His treasured possession, He doesn't say, oh, they believed on Me, which and certainly they did. But He describes it as fear. They feared Me. In fact, I thought about calling this the fear of faith. And you see that that's what the Lord wants. That's what He's striving after in the book of Malachi. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord. He wants us to see how great He is. Look at Malachi 1.6. A son honors. So in 1.5 you have this idea of greatness of the Lord. Here it's honor. A son honors his father. A servant, his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? That's the thing. He doesn't see fear for him in these people by their actions, by their offerings, by their tithing, by the way they treat their wives. Malachi 1.14 or maybe one eleven. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And every place incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And just catch that, Lord of hosts. 
I went through and I circled that every time because it just occurred to me. That is showing up a lot here. 24 times in the original. Lord of hosts. What does that mean? Just basically you could say Lord of the armies. I mean, he's setting himself forth in a name that is meant to bring awe to us. Malachi 1.14 Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. Malachi 2.2 If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, there it is again, honor, honor my name. You just go through and find the times that God mentions His name in this book. I want my name honored. I want you to stand in awe of it. Malachi 2.5 My covenant with Him was one of life and peace. I gave them to Him. It was a covenant of fear and He feared me. He stood in awe of my name. I am the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. I am the commander. Malachi 3 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, press the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them in a book of remembrance. Again, it's, it's fear. Malachi 4.2 But for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's the feeling that you get from Malachi. The greatness of God. That faith. He, he does, like I say, he doesn't mention faith here. And who is it? Who is it that's going to have the Son of Righteousness rise with healing in its wings upon? Well, it's those who fear His name. And, and what struck me, now, now think with me here. The, the very first section here from verses 2 through 5 it's love but how how look how god expresses love towards a people who are weary with him and that's what it says down in verse 13 you say what a weariness this is we're told not to not to grow weary and sometimes we feel weary. Maybe some of you are feeling that. But th- this kind of weariness isn't just weariness with well-doing. It's, just, it's a weariness with those things that have to do with the Lord. What happens when we get wearied with the Lord? Well, other things become great, right? Other things thrill us. Other things distract us. Other things take up our time and attention. Other things we go after seeking joy out of. How, do you, how does God come along and say to a people, I love you. 
to a weary people, a people that are wearied with him. He, notice what he does. Notice what he doesn't do. You might think, if, if you were trying to assure somebody of your love, you might come along and say to them, I love you. Look what I do for you. Look at how compassionate I am to you. Look how kind I am. Look how I give to you. But how does he deal? How does the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, deal with the people that are wearied with him? He doesn't come that way. He comes to express his love. But it's really interesting how he does this. He could have focused on his tender mercies. But instead, what does he do? He shows his vengeance on Esau. This is what you do when people are careless. And I got thinking about this and I thought, okay, if you've got somebody careless and God is wanting them to fear Him, He wants them to, he wants them to see Him as great. He wants them to tremble before Him. I'm thinking, do you come and tell them about your love? Does love create trembling? And maybe it's just the backdrop of this trip that I've just had up to Michigan. But when, when God comes along here and He says, have I not loved you? And instead of God taking us and putting His arm around us and showing us His tender mercies towards us, He walks us over and He shows us the lost. He shows us Esau. And he says, these are people... I mean, this we know from Romans 9, this is a picture of the lost. This is a picture... That the, Jacob is, is the representative of the children of promise and Esau of all the rest. And I just, I just was in Michigan and I was around my family and I don't have one saved family member and I went and I made a purpose of it to try to seek out those guys and girls I went to high school with. It's our 30th reunion this year. And I sought out these friends of mine from high school and I sat with them. None of them are saved. None of them. And I was struck by the darkness they sit in. I was just struck again. I was struck by this when I was first saved, but I've been removed from it. I've been down in Texas for nine to 20 years. And just those first three years, the Lord left me there with the people who I grew up with and my family before He removed me down. But going back, I was reminded all over again, just staggered that... God has not shown these people the mercy that He's shown me. These are people that are under His wrath. I was looking at them. These people, I mean, from the days that I knew them in high school, and I knew them through college and for three years out before I went to Texas, but they're that, they're, they're that much, you know, they're 20 years, 30 years harder in their sin. 20 years, 30 years more deceived than they were before. I mean, as I'm trying to share the gospel, just, just to see the hardness and to see these, these are people. I mean, I'm warning them. I'm seeking to warn them. And as I was driving back here, 
that fills me with trembling. God had mercy on me and I was as bad or worse. I was the black sheep of the family. I was as bad or worse than many of my friends. I led them into sin. They, me, and I, them. And and, and then I'm thinking about just from the time I've been saved till now. I mean, you, you've got here in Malachi, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Again, Jacob, that's a picture of us, of the redeemed. I mean, you think about it. You start really thinking about it. You and I have done things today that if it wasn't for the fact of God remembering what Christ has done for us, we'd be dead, we'd be gone, we'd be destroyed. And it's, it's, it's God saying, you are not special in and of yourselves. You are not. I mean, it's that text there. Don't you remember that Esau was Jacob's brother? I mean, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, don't you remember that you were just like Chris and Matt and Kathy and Rocky? I mean, I, had to, I sat with those four at a table, my wife and I, one night. And I was seeking to share the gospel with them. And I'm just thinking, don't you remember that? Don't you remember who's... And I look at my brother. I look at my mom. I mean, Rich is my brother. And God has not shown mercy on him. And there's a place just to see the greatness of God and the love He's shown us. And that's how He deals with them. That's how, that, this is the remedy for a weary people. You're not consumed. And I'm going to consume them. These are people, my anger is against them forever. And you were just like them. I mean, Esau, he's his brother. They were twins. Before they had done good or bad, God said, I'm going to show mercy, and I'm not going to show mercy. Isn't there something in that that makes you tremble? I'm just thinking, why, Lord, why me? It was not anything in me. And you, you start thinking that God, God wants us to fear Him that way. You, you start letting some verses run through your mind about God coming close, God, God's affection, God's closeness towards those who fear His name, towards those who tremble at His name. I mean, just think about Psalm 25.14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He is worthy to be feared. He is a fearful God. Fearful even in His love. Fearful in His choosing. I find it to be so. Isaiah 66.2 This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit trembles at My word. This is where the closeness is. This is where the friendship of the Lord is. Or even this, Psalm 103.13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Now, let's transition right there with that thought. A father to a child. 
those who fear Him. I mean, that's the same kind of idea you've got here in verse 6 in Malachi chapter 1. I mean, let's think about this. Think about fatherhood. I was just thinking about fatherhood from the standpoint of, you know, our church meets there, that inner city area of San Antonio. And over the last several years, the Lord has been bringing numbers of African Americans. Do you know that I believe it's only 20% of African American families have a father. And I'm dealing with the ramifications of that pastorally. But here you have a people wearied with the Lord and He presents His fatherhood. You would think, okay, I'm going I'm to talk to these people about my love. I'm going to talk to them about my fatherhood. And He just speaks in a way that kind of catches us off guard. It's not exactly what we would expect. Just like with Esau. He comes at it from, from another way. He shows us His wrath against Esau in expressing His love towards us. But much the same way in fatherhood here. You know, you think of fathers. I think of fathers there in the inner city and just the failure. And fathers who abuse their children. And fathers, there's, there, it's, almost like, it's almost like in our culture, the father is being diminished. And if he's, if he's spoken of at all, if he's lifted up at all, it would, just, it would just be the fact that he cares for the family, he guides the family, he provides for the family, he doesn't abuse the kids, he doesn't sexually molest the kids. He doesn't, it seems like there's... That the most striking reality of fatherhood, as we find it in Scripture, doesn't tend to be in our culture, in our society, what tends to be set out there is most important. I mean, think about it. Think about you go back to the you go back to the Ten Commandments. You go back to the Law of Moses. What is it about? Parenting. What is it about fatherhood that was most highly esteemed in the sight of God? What was it? And what does the fifth commandment say? Honor. And that's he he throws his his fatherhood out here. And it's not so much just that this idea that. That he's trying to dispel this authoritarianism and abusiveness in fatherhood and, and just say, look how I've cared for you, look what I've done. I mean, his, he doesn't come to these people who he wants change, he wants repentance. And he doesn't say, look, look at what a father I've been to you. I haven't abused you. Look how I've cared for you. Look how I've loved you. Look how tenderly I've treated you. How can you then treat me this way? How can you treat me this way? That's not the approach he takes. Rather, he says, I am a great king. I am a father who deserves honor. How can you bring me a blind offering? That's the argument. I deserve respect. I mean, I'm great and you're not treating me great. I'm a father. And in, in the greatest biblical sense, fatherhood is... You see it in the, in the Proverbs. 
It is a, that, that is a place of esteem. It is a place of honor. It, is a, it, it ought to win respect and reverence from the children. And, and you know, whatever you may think of fatherhood, or may, however that strikes you, or whatever your father was like, I mean, you get, you get the definite feeling, do you not, that to these Levites, he's addressing the priests there in verse 6, O priests who despise my name. If you get any idea here that about the fatherhood of God, the fatherhood of God is brought in here in Malachi 1.6 to do what? To humble these guys. Maybe even to frighten them, to fill them with awe. It, it, I mean, in some way, to shock them into a reality. That's why fatherhood is presented here. God doesn't want them despising His name. The fatherhood of God is not presented here mainly to comfort these people, but to shake them. And so you have fatherhood, you have love, it's being set forth that way. But let's, uh, you know, tithing. Tithing is often something that's, that's commonly referred to in Malachi. Just I, w- I want us to think about the tithing. It shows up in three. Let's read verses 3-7. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I I don't want to... I don't want to say anything really about tithing, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, whether we ought to or ought not to. But I want you to see the heart of the matter here. Listen to what God is saying. You rob me. And as you really look at this, now just think with me here. Back in chapter 1, He says in verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. Well, shut the doors to what? To stop the sacrifices. I'm tired of your sacrifices. In other words, God doesn't need our sacrifices. Shut the door. He doesn't need them. We, we heard all the silver and the gold is His. All the, he doesn't need those. It's the heart. It's how the people are treating Him. It's the honor or the lack of honor that's there. Certainly, He does not need this. He'd just as soon have somebody close the door if the heart isn't right. God doesn't need the good sheep. He doesn't need the bad sheep. Does He really need our tithe? 
But it's the heart matter. What is God robbed from here? Remember what this book is all about. I am a great king. I am a great God. And you're not treating me that way. You're growing weary with that. And what he says here is not, oh, how badly I needed your money. It's you're not giving me the opportunity to be proven. That's what he's saying to them. Prove me. If I will not, I mean, he says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven, and he gets down to 12, then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be the land of delight. All the nations, all what he wants is his name put on display. He, he is great. And however we deal with money, that's the issue here. What what he's really being robbed from, the robbery is, God is wanting to put him... He wants to be tested. Test his greatness. That's where they're failing. So that he, he wants his greatness to be tested so that in the sight of all the nations, he's going to be put on display. Prove me. Test me. I am powerful. I'm a great king. I can take care of you. Prove me that I will take care of you. I mean, whether, whether you want to tithe or not, that's not the real issue. At the root of this thing, the root of this thing is trusting Him. He's great. He can be trusted. And then think about this. These priests. I mean, this is another thing that just jumped out at me. I, I, you see in, uh, in chapter 1, Verse 6, O priests. And then over in chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests. This idea of these priests jumps out. And you know, as as I was looking at this, I was thinking, you know how it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where it talks about you know, not muzzling the ox when it treads out the grain. And Paul says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does He not certainly speak for our sake? And I was asking the question, and I think we might be able to say that, is it for the Old Testament priests that God is so much concerned? Does He not certainly speak for our sake? I mean, I think this was written for our sake. And the reason that I think that is if you go to Malachi chapter 3, let's read there. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant. Now, let's read that again. Behold, I will send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. Now we know from Mark, Matthew, Luke, that's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. (coughs) Excuse me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant. Now this messenger is different from the first messenger. This is the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of His coming? 
Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Now you just ask yourself this question. Who are these Levites? Who are they? <clears throat> the sons of Levi. Who are these? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Okay, <clears throat> you might say, well, if Malachi was indeed written at the time of Nehemiah, and these Levites were being rebuked, maybe it's speaking about them. Well, we know it's not speaking about them, because we know that this is speaking about such a time that we know it's John the Baptist. He's coming as a messenger. To prepare the way before me. Jesus says specifically that Malachi 3.1 is speaking of John the Baptist. And then the Lord whom you seek. He suddenly comes to His temple. We have a picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. So we know that this is future. This is prophetic. This is looking forward. This isn't dealing with the sons of Levi in the day of Nehemiah. Now we might say this. We might say, you know, you go to the book of Acts, doesn't it say there that the priests were coming to the Lord? You might say that. In fact, I think I've heard somebody say that before. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that you want to notice. It says this. As these people are being purified, the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now if you jump back to chapter 1 and verse 11, you're going to see this. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered. Here's offerings. Here are priestly offerings to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations. I mean, one thing, when Christ came, even if some of the priests were coming to him, how were they any different than you or me? Not a whit. There was no offering, there was no sacrifice to be made after Christ came. <clears throat> but this is what, what chapter 1 verse 11 is saying is these offerings are going to come forth in all the nations. This is a priesthood that's going to be comprised. These are, these are people making offerings from every nation, from every tongue. And Matthew Henry looks at this and he says, all true Christians are sons of Levi. That, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, is there anything in the New Testament that would lead us to believe we're a priesthood? Anything? First, yeah, let's let's try First Peter. How about how about First Peter two four? 
as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And watch this. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To offer spiritual sacrifices. Does that sound anything like this? They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Does that sound like offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? Or how about 1 Peter 2.9? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Now did you get that? A people for His own possession. When you go back to Malachi... Verse chapter 3, verse 17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Anywhere else in the New Testament you can think about where possibly the Christian is viewed as a priest? Besides First Peter? Hebrews? Definitely, definitely they're directly calling Christians priests or priesthood is not done there, but there's definitely the idea of sacrifices and offerings. But I, I, I'm thinking of Revelation. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And again, in in Revelation 5, you find that. In Revelation 20, blessed and holy is the One who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. Now, I want you to think here. What does Jesus do to make this priesthood? What does He do to the sons of Levi? What is He? A fire. A refiner's fire. I mean, let's look back at Malachi 3. For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. You know, if you move forward a little bit here to verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed I was just thinking about I was thinking about these these different words that are said here he is a refiner's fire but that fire doesn't consume us and you go over to chapter 4 behold the day is coming burning again now we have the idea of fire again You have the idea of not consumed 
in 3.6. You have the refiner's fire in 3.3. In 4, you have this idea of burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. There you have that again. Ablaze. Burning. Says the Lord of hosts. If you go to 4.3, You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. You know the building that we used to meet in in San Antonio, the building next door, some homeless people were living there in cold nights. They built a fire. That building literally was a pile of ashes. Jesus does not apply the fire to His people to bring a pile of ashes. It's a different kind of fire. That house fire next to our building is different than the refiner's fire. A refiner's fire does something different. It doesn't reduce us to ashes. It doesn't consume us. There are fires that consume. There are fires that incinerate. There are fires that totally reduce everything to to that which is ugly and destroyed. They just had that fire out there. Where was it? Was it in Arizona? Where those firefighters were killed? That fire destroyed. You see, you you have two different kind of fires burning in Malachi, do you not? And yet, fire is fearful. Again, we're dealing with a book that's setting God forth as a God of of awe, a God of greatness, a great King. And you know, fire is fearful. Fire is not a toy. I mean, the picture, the picture of fire, when you have fire, I mean, He's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now there is a loving hand behind that fire, the first fire here. But it's still a fearful thing. Christianity has a fearful element about it. Is it not? It does say fire. Purity and holiness does not come cheaply. It's a, it's, fire is a dreadful thing. And, and purity and holiness come with that dreadful thing. Trials. The fires that He puts us through. Have you found it to be so? He is like a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire. When I was in college, in engineering school, I remember we'd bring out the crucible and I think we put zinc and and we melted it. And it was beautiful. It just, it, it was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely just, it, it almost, I mean, there was no, it was as though you could see no defect in it. It was just totally reflective. It was shiny. Not like in a mirror where you see something on it. It was, and, and you, you would heat that up, and if there was any impurity, any slag, 
it would rise to the surface and you skim it off. And that's, that's the picture here. We're put in the fire. I mean, you even, I've been thinking recently about, about even Job. You know, you put, Job is a man who bears a, a phenomenal testimony from the Lord. And yet, you put him in the fire, and if, if anybody was put in the fire like silver seven times, it was Job. What do you think? Did any dross float to the top? Was there any impurity? Did anything come out? Anything surface? I mean, certainly it did. He was repenting in dust and ashes at the end. He had spoke unwisely. There was something there. This is the fire that we see here. Brethren, I mean, look, if, if we can make this real practical in this sense, I mean, we're, we are this priesthood. We're this priesthood. The fire is coming. I've just, I was reading Payson again on this trip, and he went through this extended season where he was just full of joy. And, and things were going so well and people were being converted in the church and he kept writing to his mother, daily I expect trial. Daily I expect, I, I'm seeking to rejoice in this season, but I just expect that this, and you know if you've lived the Christian life long enough, you know that the Lord is going to put us in the fires and it, it hurts. It, it is a terrible thing when we get put in it and it pulls things out that are deep it pulls that dross out and the slag and it rises to the surface we are this priesthood and that is going to be our lot in this life and as a priesthood think about the offerings what are what are the offerings of our priesthood what is it that in our priestly service we should be doing what is it in the new testament that actually is said to be an offering or a sacrifice of the people of God. Praise. Yeah, the, there's this sacrifice of the lips. Praise. I mean, I think about this. First Peter 2.9, you may have caught it. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. That's one of the functions of our priesthood. That's one of the offerings that we lay on the altar. He puts us in the furnace. And as He puts us in there and He brings us out, He puts us in there and He brings us out. He scrapes off that that dross and He puts us in and He brings us out. And what is one of the offerings that He's looking to, to have come from us? One of these offerings in righteousness to the Lord. It's proclaiming the excellencies. If there's something we should be doing as a priesthood, don't, I mean, what we don't want to be like is, is these priests in Malachi. They were growing weary. Their offerings, they were, what, what, what were they doing? They were, they were giving the Lord the blind. They were giving the Lord that which is taken by violence. They were giving Him the sick. He's saying, offer that to your governors. See if they'll take that. Brethren, you know, God, God is great and He does not want us careless. Because carelessness, it just speaks. It speaks about the littleness that we esteem of God in our own hearts. 
proclaiming his excellencies. That's what he wants coming from this priesthood. What else? What else with the lips? Or where else? We might, we heard praise. Hebrews 13, 15, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge the same. Or how about thanksgiving? Psalm 50 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You have praise, proclamation of His excellencies. You have appreciation for His gifts. Thanksgiving. How about just prayers? I mean, I I think of this. You know, in Malachi it says, it says in every place incense will be offered to My name and a pure offering. You could see they had the altar of incense there in the tabernacle, in the temple. And that aroma would go up. Do, Do we get any picture like that in the New Testament? What's incense likened to in the New Testament? Which offering? The offering of prayer. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So this incense will be offered in His name, a pure offering. The sacrifice of our bodies. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The sacrifice of our money. I mean, again, in Hebrews 13.16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Or even, even our evangelism, soul winning. You know, Paul speaks there in, in Romans 15 about being a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The sacrifice of our lives. 2 Timothy 4.6 I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I think this is a this is a letter. It's a letter that warns about becoming weary. Brethren, we it is so healthy. I mean, we, we, I think we need to ask ourselves as this priesthood you know you th- you think about Jesus there about whatever it means to lose first love the church at Ephesus seemed strong it seemed vibrant in so many ways but they lost their first love and you know as we boil it down if if if, if you want to look at that text in light of Malachi again i say Malachi Malachi doesn't talk about our love for God or our faith to God it talks about our fear of God Going back sometimes, just just like has just happened with me going back to Michigan, and just the electing love of God and, and the awe of that, how it just caused me to really tremble before the Lord. How isn't it amazing that I mean I was I was just I was overwhelmed again. You can get into the Christian circles and we see all that God is doing and people are being converted. And we're, we're watching a work down in Mexico right now, and it's just we're floored by some of the things that we see. And then I come away, and I'm just, I, I'm awakened again to the sense of 
how many, just how many people in this world did God just pass by to choose me? And, and really thinking as I'm walking through this life, am I dealing with Him as I ought to a father with the greatness that He has? Is, is my priestly service to Him, am I getting to the place where I'm giving Him the blind? That which is taken by violence? That which is sick? Am I, am I offering him that which I would be ashamed to offer to my wife or to, to some, somebody I really respected or loved? We, can't we grow careless at times? Just that text about weariness. And I, I have to admit, I mean, there are times when I feel weary and I don't... It's, I mean, it's, it's right that we're going to feel weary at times, but we don't want to be wearied in our esteem of God. You can grow tired. It's good to tire yourself out serving the Lord. It's good to go to bed at night just wiped out from serving the Lord. But we don't want to grow weary. He does not want a priesthood. And oh, God put us in the fire to get rid of that. Don't offer to God the second best. Whether it's your time in prayer, your time in the Word, your time proclaiming His excellency, listen to Him again. He's listening. He listens to those who fear His name. He listens to how you talk. He listens to what you say to one another in your fellowship. He listens when you groan like, I'm just, I'm wearied by this thing. I'm wearied by Christianity. He's listening to you when you're talking and you're in awe of His name. When you fear His name. And he sees that you're moved upon to live your life in a certain way because you esteem him as a very great God. When you tremble at his word, when you see him in the pages of scripture, when you really think, you think about an Ananias and Sapphira, you really think, you put yourself in the place with Isaiah as he went into the temple and you're asking... need to be asking the Lord, just, Lord, be faithful, put us in the fire, get rid of this dross, get rid of anything that causes weariness, get, get rid of anything that would bring reproach upon His name in our churches. Lord, make us into this priesthood. Brethren, use your mouths to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Don't be like the Romans 1 people where you don't thank the Lord. Really recognizing how great He is. Just how much comes from Him. Remember His love. I mean, as you drive along, don't just... I mean, look around and have pity on the people that don't know the Lord. But also recognize just... We're, we're in the midst of a, of a world... We're in the midst of, of multitudes. Multitudes. You have to come back and remember and be amazed all over. Were, were you ever amazed like I was when I first became a Christian and I read Matthew 7 and 12 and 13 and I just said, what? Few there be that find it. And I did. Just remember, it's because of God's 
God doesn't change, that you're not consumed this very day, and we know it. You just stop and you really think, wow, I really, I really have come short of the glory of God. And I should be, I should be incinerated and be this pile of ashes. May the Lord help us to fear His name. And I, I know this... I know this is kind of disjointed here, but I, I was just wanting to bring out some thoughts and some things and some repetition. Brethren, we serve the Lord of hosts 24 times. I am the Lord of the armies. I am the Lord of the angels. I am, I am terrible in my glory. You sons of Levi, you serve him in a way that shows that this isn't Allah. This isn't one of the Hindu gods. This isn't a god we carry around. This isn't a statue of Mary. This god is fearful in his holiness. Kind indeed, willing to be a father. Oh, even his spirit moves us to cry, Abba, Father. But he is a father that deserves the highest reverence, the highest respect. Just look at your life. What are your offerings broken? David said, I won't give the Lord anything that costs me nothing. He was mindful. I'm going to give him my best. Have, have, we, have we lost our first love in that sense? Have we edged away from it? There was a day when we would do this and we would do this and now we kind of justify, you know, kind of... And, and you become, slowly you become like this. You're just, you're just wearied with it. You, you, you get to where you've justified giving the Lord just not the best and you're offering... And the Lord is, I mean, if anything from this book, He's just watching, He's listening, He regards it. And not because He wants the, the money or the offering, He wants the heart that fears Him. It's, and, and when we fear Him, what we do with our lives is, is going to resonate with that. What we say with our mouths is going to resonate with that. And there's a way people live who fear Him. There's things we do that show, and there's things that we don't do that show. Well, may God help us. Amen.